You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh picks up with the second half of Romans chapter 14, where Paul continues to give instruction to the early church about how we should walk with and engage one another over differences. It's our prayer today that the Holy Spirit would allow us to walk in humility and submission to God's Word as it is spoken to us. Great. If you have your Bibles, Romans 14, Romans 14, the end of this chapter, uh, by the Lord's grace, is where we will end today. That is what we pray. Uh, We are getting closer to the end. Just four more Sundays, including today, in this incredible letter. uh, That will have completed 30 weeks in this awesome, awesome letter. So, With that being said, as we continue to get closer to chapter 16, we are going to feel today and particularly over the next two weeks a sense of urgency as the Apostle Paul writes uh, because he has spent a majority of this letter, the first part of this letter, the, the first half of this letter, telling the church why they believe what they believe. And now we find ourselves in the application section of this scripture, okay? Churches then... And churches still today have a tendency, and this is our tendency at Broadmoor, not just because it's Broadmoor, but just because we are fallen people, and this just is our default, okay? So, so churches then, churches still today, have a tendency to major on the minors and to minor on the majors. And I, I couldn't give you a, a great detailed reason for that this morning without taking up all of our time, but just suffice it to say, Paul's letter, particularly chapter 14, is speaking clearly to this point. He is saying, by God's grace, we are absolutely set free. So us majoring on the minors should never be the case. And in that freedom that, that God has, has given to us and, and setting us free from sin, It is not given us freedom to pass judgment on anyone else. And last week, if you want to go back, I don't want to rehash all of last week's sermon, so go back and listen to it. Go back and read the first part. Judgment being you were the definitive answer on who gets into heaven and who doesn't. It's not saying that we aren't to keep a watch over one another's lives and to give accountability to one another. It's not saying that we aren't supposed to major on the majors. But what he is saying is we hold no place on the throne of God in and of ourselves. Christ is seated there and he sits there alone. We belong to him. We are owned by him and we are serving one another. So with all of that, this morning, we come to the place of scripture. Well, if we're not supposed to judge in our freedom, what are the things that we should be about in our freedom? And today we're going to see four unique things. One is going to be a negative, negative in the sense of it's a don't do. And then we're going to have three affirmations, three, three positive, three, these are the things that you should be doing, okay? So, so over the course of these verses today, one don't, three do's. And I would suspect after this sermon is over this morning, you will have more clarity on this subject than you have ever had before. I would also suspect that you will have more questions than when you walked into the doors this morning. And both of those have to be okay. This should make for great life group and dinner conversation over the course of the the day and over the course of this coming week. But with that being said, let's jump in. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, 
but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother, all right? So we come to our first point, and it is this. Don't, this is, this is the negative, this would be the, the don't do, don't be a stumbling block or a hindrance, all right? Since that's true, we are told, don't pass judgment on one another. So, so therefore, because, because we are set free and we're not giving judgment to one another, that we're not gonna do that over secondary things. Instead of passing judgment, we must decide in our mind, like we have to resolve it before we get into the, the situation, never to be a stumbling block or a hindrance. Now, this is fun when you like to nerd out in some of the languages. These words may sound similar, but they are not the same. Here's the reason why. When we get to the word stumbling block, it would be this idea of accidental stumbling. Like, like we would do something that would cause somebody else to stumble, but we didn't intend that. It was not our intention to do that, but regardless of our intention, they still stumbled. Paul says that would be a stumbling block. Then he uses another word for hindrance. And hindrance, same premise, it's going to cause somebody else a negative reaction in their walk with Christ, but hindrance here is intentional. Meaning we know good and well that what we are doing is gonna cause them some conflict in their conscience and their walk with the Lord, and we're gonna do it anyway. Paul says both of those things in the walk of, going back to the language of last week, we're gonna use it a little bit more this week, of the strong brother and the weak brother. Strong brother being the one who relies completely on the grace of God for closeness and continual walk with God. The weaker brother would be, and he's speaking to the Jews here primarily, but it would be those who would say, I have faith in Christ, but I also believe we need to listen to the law as well. It doesn't disqualify you from faith, but it is a weaker faith than the ones who would just say, it is Christ alone through faith alone, through grace alone. Right? So, so he is saying we should not be a stumbling block or a hindrance, okay? So let's, let's look at stumbling block for a moment just to make sure we get this. In your freedom, you want to do something. You don't want to do something that is unintentional that causes your weaker brother to stumble in their walk with Christ. So to use Paul's illustration from last week, When he was talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and their differences of views of of eating meat and drinking wine. And this idea, now remember, it wasn't on the premise of just meat and wine and abstaining or enjoying. The Jews would say, we have a, a clear directive from God in his law that should be timeless, is what they would say. And they say, we should not eat meat that has been submitted to idols or drink wine that has been offered to idols. And so since we don't know if this is kosher, that's where that word comes from, if this meat anywhere along the way has ever been given to an idol, or this, this, this wine offered to an idol, we will drink none of it. We will abstain and eat vegetables only. And so then you had the Gentiles saying, well, I don't have that because I didn't grow up with that. What I heard is I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Christ is my savior and he has brought me from death to life and I trust him alone. And so you have these two kind of feuding, and so Paul kind of brings it into some clarity for us. A, a weaker brother would be the Jews who would They would say, I love Christ. I submit my life to him, but I really like the law too. Makes me feel good. Then you you have the stronger brother in Paul's illustration. And it's just simply that that the Gentiles were more to, to be apt to say, well, I'm trusting in Christ alone because I have no understanding of what you guys are talking about. I didn't come from that lineage, all right? So, So using that illustration, going back to last week with the meat and the wine, let's just say, for instance, you're hosting a party. This would be stumbling block. 
If you're hosting a party to celebrate God's goodness and the joy of life, and you invite people over, strong brothers and weaker brothers, and when the guests show up and the party is feeling good, you decide it's now time to bring out the choice meats and the best wine. And you're proud of yourself because you made sure, because you loved your brothers and sisters, that you wanted to bring out the best of everything. And just because you loved your friends and you wanted to honor them as y'all celebrated the Lord, that, that you brought all of those things out. And the weaker brother sees the spread and immediately has a moment of personal conviction. Meaning, oh no, what do I do? I know in my heart I shouldn't, I shouldn't eat that meat or drink that wine. I know I don't want to do that, but I don't want to feel rude in this situation because I know they don't mean anything by it and it's standing in front of me. Should I do it? Should I not? God, help me have understanding of what's going on here. This would be what stumbling block is. It is an un- unintentional stumbling between a weaker person, a weaker person in the faith, and their walk with the Lord Jesus. Well, then there's the other part of hindrance. Here here would be that illustration. Same same one, just a different scenario. In your freedom, you do something that intentionally causes your weaker brother to stumble in their walk with Christ. Taking Paul's illustration a little bit further this time. But this time, when you invite the weaker brothers to the party, knowing good and well, they have strong convictions against eating meat and drinking wine. But you're going to help them change their mind because it's about time they game up to today's time. They just haven't tried my charcuterie board yet. This bottle of red wine's gonna knock their socks off. Just wait till they try it. You're setting them up for conflict and you know it. That would be called a hindrance, where you intentionally do something to cause them some struggle in their walk with Christ. Or even worse, this isn't just 2,000 years ago. Listen closely, church. This is even worse. We are a hindrance when we don't care about how others feel about what they are doing and the freedoms that we enjoy that Christ has given to us. We know that we will be around our weaker brothers and we make no accommodations because our freedom. That is a hindrance. Now remember, the whole purpose behind chapter 14 is there's a greater mission at play and we need to understand that we shouldn't be divided over the minor things, but even still, stronger brothers, just because you have freedom doesn't mean that it's your freedom to flaunt. And so as we have this understanding, we understand that it's not about what we eat or drink. It's not about what we do or don't do. It's about the mission that's been trusted to us and our diligence in fulfilling it. This is the tension that we must live in every single day. But you say, Josh, but I'm free. We're free. Why are we the ones as strong brothers, the one that need to live in the tension of knowing our situation and knowing where our weaker brothers are at all times? Here's what Paul says about that, verse 14. I know, verse, verse 14, I know and am now persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Here's another way to hear that. Jesus says it this way in Mark 7, verses 14 through 19. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. 
And when, we, uh, and when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples came and asked him about the, peril, the parable. They were unsure. Like, hey, Rabbi, we don't know what you're saying here. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it's not his heart, but his stomach? And then it's expelled. Paul says this. He says, I've been persuaded by Christ, meaning this has been hard for him. Paul was a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and Christ persuaded him that no thing is unclean, meaning this, that no thing is moral or immoral. Here's where the questions are going to start spinning in your mind. Just wait, it gets better. To continue that thought, you can get a better picture of this by reading the rest of what Mark chapter 7 has to say in this section. Because what Jesus is going to go on to say is, you're going to cause fights over the things that you eat and drink, but it's the things that are coming out of your mouth and the things that you are doing that you have no care for. And those are the things defiling you in the sight of God. That's true for us then and today. Illustrations today. Are you ready? Eating and drinking. We're using his scenario. Eating, choice meat, drinking, not sinful actions. Gluttony and drunkenness, sinful actions. I believe Jesus' teaching on Sermon on the Mount gives us a closer view of his heart on this matter. Eating and drinking are not sinful actions, but the reason you take the first bite and the first sip could very well be incredibly sinful. Hear me out. It's the reason. Now, we're all good Baptists in this room, right? So we dare not talk about alcohol consumption on a Sunday. Why do you take the first drink? Is it because you enjoy it? Or is it because the day was so hard you just want to forget about it? And you have not gone to the Father. You've gone to that and said, church family, that's idolatry. But let's not just rail on that. How about the thing that we love as Baptists? How about the food? Why is it that we find that more acceptable than other sins? The question then becomes, why do we belly up to the all-you-can-eat buffet? (laughs) Are they going to give us a prize or something? I'm probably in the shape I'm in today because of that mentality, but it's probably more to do with this because we find things that make us feel really good. They remind us of safe places that once were And we go back to those places over and over and over again. It's the real reason, truly, that I love Oreos and a cold glass of milk. Real talk, it reminds me of being a little kid without a care in the world, sitting with my grandmother and grandfather and listening to them tell stories. And so when life gets really hard and I get really overwhelmed, I just want some Oreos and some cold milk. Idolatry if I don't go to the Lord first. This is, this is what Paul is saying. Look, look, we need to understand our fight shouldn't be over the silly things that the churches are around every day. It should be about the more eternal matters. He goes on to say this. But if, if they know and they have issues with these things, if there's a conviction from the Holy Spirit about eating or drinking, then to eat and drink is a sinful action. So just one bite and just one sip. This is what he says at the end of verse 14. 
But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Meaning that if the Lord is convicting you over something specific and that conviction is informed by Scripture, then that is conviction for you. Meaning that if you go against that conviction, that is sinful for you. And now that we have a better understanding, we need to go back to the stronger brother here. Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, something important to remember here in your freedom for Christ, it is not your freedom that people are going to see and know that you belong to Christ. Meaning, you're not going to go in this world and live freely and do as you please and think, man, that man's got Jesus. That woman loves the Lord. She can do whatever she wants to do. The Bible never says that. Matter of fact, the Bible says in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have, what? Love for one another. That's how the world knows that we belong to the king. That's how the world knows that we have been supernaturally transformed and united together because of our love for one another, even in the the vast ocean of our differences. Verse 16 So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we get to this, this, this first part of the affirmation. Here's what you should do. Do live as citizens of the kingdom. Paul is reminding us that serving Christ is not about what you do or don't do. It's not try harder to be better like eating or not eating or drinking or not drinking. It's based on something deeper. The kingdom of God does not exist of externals. Meaning this, you're not a better kingdom person if you do all the right things and stay away from all the wrong things. Because you can be incredibly moral and be completely lost. The kingdom of God is not about external things, it's about internal things. What Paul says here, there are three in view, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're living in these things, verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. This is huge if we allow ourselves to understand it. A lot of times we want to live, particularly in the world we day, where to the world we live in today, where everybody draws lines in the sand, and we want to say, well, you're in, and I'm in, and you're out, and you're out, based on what we see them doing, or at least what somebody that's kin to them, that knew somebody, told us about them. What Paul says, hey, do you, do you want some definitive things that you can actually look for? Some things that if you are going to not judge but inspect the fruits of their life, here's what you need to be looking for instead. Not what they eat or drink, but are they righteous? Do they live for righteousness' sake? Are they men and women of peace? Do they live to make peace? Do they they obtain, do they have a joy in the Holy Spirit? If they have these things, brothers and sisters, that's supernatural in the world we live in today. These are the things we should concern ourselves with. Now, hear me out. I believe that once you are controlled by Christ and the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you, it is going to affect your entire life. 
I'm not saying you can live like the devil and have these things inside of you. Those two kingdoms can't coexist. But if at first glance we're trying to to see where people are, this is where we should first glance. At righteousness, at peace, at joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't be offended by what somebody eats or drinks. Be offended by the lack of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now that we have proper lines drawn on the field, let's get to work. Look at verse 19, 20, and 21. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual building. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another to stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So here's our third point of the day. In your freedom, do the things that benefit everyone around you. We should ask right questions when it comes to our freedom that Christ has given to us. Here's the wrong question. Can I do this? How far can I get in this thing before it becomes wrong? That's generally our response. We, we like that question because it lets us, in many ways, live a little bit fleshly without going all the way in. That's the wrong question, I believe. I think we ask this question instead. Does my doing this build up those that are around me? And I think that's not just a general rule across life. I think that's a specific question for every situation we find ourselves in. Does me saying this thing, does me telling this joke, does me going to this place, does me eating this food, does me drinking this thing, does this build up those that are around me right now in this moment? If it does, if it brings them closer to Christ, then glory. But if it doesn't, then we have no business doing it because our goal in this unity is to make sure that the weaker brother has legs to stand on as we march in the kingdom and advance across this globe. You may be saying this to yourself right now, wow, Josh, this is different. This is different than than what I thought or what I knew, and this is going to be really hard. That's why Paul says and tells us to pursue Meaning that we continually move towards it. It is going to be difficult. What do you think when Jesus said, come and after me and you've got to die to yourself? Do you think he was joking? We are dying to our flesh. We are dying to our desires for the sake of his glory in the kingdom's work. And so when we come here, we understand Paul is saying, pursue this. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be incredibly difficult. Matter of fact, it's going to be more difficult than you can do in yourself. That's why it's a work of the Holy Spirit if it happens. We have to remember this, church, that our freedom that Christ has given to us is not worth destroying the work that God is doing. Verse 22 and following. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he does. Meaning, good good on you if there's no conviction in how you are living according to God's word. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he is eating not from faith. 
For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The final point today as we look to this is we should make sure in our freedom we do make sure that everything that we do comes from a place of faith, of clear conscience. Paul gives advice to both the strong and the weak. To the strong brother, verse verse 21, he says simply this, keep your freedom in Christ between you and Christ. Paul is not saying that you should forsake the freedom that Christ has graciously given to you. He is saying that your enjoyment of that freedom should be between you and Christ. No need to flaunt it. No need to push it on someone else. But to the weaker brother, you'd see this in verse 22. If your conscience is leading you to abstain from certain things and your conscience is informed by Scripture, that is a critical statement. We are not chained to our conscience alone. This word supersedes our conscience. There may be things that you grew up with that you have certain feelings about that were never in this book, but somebody told you they were. And so you need to make sure why you believe and what you believe matches up with what this book says. With that being said, though, If your conscience is leading you to abstain from certain things and your conscience is informed by Scripture, then by all means, abstain. The other side of that is true, though. If your conscience is leading you to do something informed by Scripture, then by all means, do it. Informed by Scripture. Remember, Paul's reason for writing is to keep unity in the church among the diversity that comes with people from all walks of life. The unity that Paul is striving for, though, is not an end, an end in and of itself. The unity is a means to a greater, more glorious end. What is that end? To love one another, even in all of the differences. Why would we love one another? So the whole world would know that we belong to a great and mighty king, and his name is Jesus. So here's our invitation. It is simple. Christ did not set us free so we could go and live in our own desires. Christ set us free so we could live for his glory. And so now the question becomes for all of us today, and I believe every day that we have a new gift of life and we open our eyes in the morning. God has set me free in Christ. What am I doing with that freedom to advance the kingdom? What am I doing with my freedom to build up my brothers and sisters around me? What am I doing with my freedom to stir up the brothers and sisters to do good works? So church, let's not put our petty, non-essential differences or preferences. Let's put them all aside and accomplish the task that has been trusted to us. The task of going into the whole world and making disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that it is beautiful in how Paul arranged this letter. No doubt he was a brilliant man, but above that, he was an inspired man by the Holy Spirit of God. That as he speaks to this, we have an incredible letter speaking to theological truths and deep doctrine. But we get to this application section, and essentially it is saying this. 
You can believe all of these things, but until you apply them, the world will never know that you are serious or that you have been authentically transformed in Christ. You need knowledge and you need action. He doesn't say the world's going to know that you belong to me because you agree with the Apostles' Creed. The world's going to know that you belong to me because you took a systematic theology class. The world will know that you belong to Christ by the way you love one another. So what Paul is saying here is there's a whole lot of one another's in this room. There's a whole lot more of one another's outside these walls. And instead of fighting against each other, and instead of tearing each other down for minor things, it's time to look past those things and unite arms and get to work for the glory of God. We look back just a chapter ago. We are closer to salvation today than we've ever been. Time is running out. We must be about the work that our Father has trusted to us. And we cannot do that if we continue to be divided over things that don't matter. So we come to the portion of our service today where we take the Lord's Supper together. Hopefully when you walked in, you received a Lord's Supper element cup that looks like this. We'll have deacons in the front here and in the front back because if you're saying, oh no, I didn't grab one for me and my family on the way in, no worries, we got you. As our men get in place, I want you to understand that when we come to this supper, it is important. As they are in place right now, if you are in need of an element cup, if you would just raise your hand, you need to raise it a little bit high and they're going to come right to you. Great. As they are passing those out, I want to remind us, the reason we take the Lord's Supper so that we, we experience fellowship between believers, identification with Christ, and a remembrance of his sacrifice. So when we come to today, there are a lot of people in this room who come from very, very different backgrounds. But the beauty of the Lord's Supper is this, and I want to make this disclaimer, and I try to do this often. Sometimes I remember, sometimes I don't. I want to remember more often, though. This supper is to be reserved for Christians only. Meaning if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there's nobody that will cast judgment on you for this. But we simply ask that you would abstain from taking this. But if you are a believer, here's what you are saying as you eat this bread and you drink this cup. I am his. And we are together in it. That's why the beauty of the Lord's Supper is typically taken in a group because everybody's different until we get to the table. And it's in that moment that we are all desperate sinners in need of salvation from Jesus Christ. And so we come and we remember his broken body and his poured out blood for us. But before we start this morning, Paul tells the Corinthian church that they need to examine themselves before they take. So I wanna give us just a moment this morning to do just that. I'm gonna read a scripture that may guide you in your examination of, of your current state. Remember, it is not what 
you have put into your body that defiles you. It is what comes out. It is, it is the reason we have put those things in our body. It is, it is the heart condition that is inside of us. So here is the psalmist prayer. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'd love for you right now, just right where you are, bow your head, close your eyes, and I just want you to spend some time praying through this. Ask the Lord right now. Lord, examine my heart. If it's not about the things that I do and more about the why I do the things that I do, Lord, is my heart healthy with you? Where are the areas that I need to repent? Lord, you know the thoughts that cross my mind every day. You know that those thoughts at times are not honoring. Confess those to him now. Ask God to point out any grievous thing in you. Maybe this is the stumbling block for you where it's just something that's unintentional. You don't even know it's there. Ask God to show it. Confess it to him. And surrender again to his will. The psalmist says, and lead me in the way everlasting. As we move to this portion of our service, if you would take the elements and remove the bread. The beauty of this, thinking through the very first Lord's Supper, if you just close your eyes and you imagine what's going on, you can hear laughter murmuring, talking, the noises from the street. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks these words. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember me. Same thing, flip your elements over. Peel the top back carefully. You don't have to go all the way. And after they would have eaten, he picks up the cup and he says these words. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink.
Father, we love you. And we thank you for the opportunity to remember your sacrifice and to once again remember the unity that you have brought to us. I pray, Father, that as we have wrapped up this beautiful chapter, that our hearts are more united to one another than they've ever been. Our hearts are stirred with conviction more than they've ever been. And we live in lockstep with the Spirit and lockstep with one another. That is how the world knows that we have been redeemed. So help us, Father, rid ourselves of any arrogance that we may have, any blind spots that we may have, any stumbling blocks or hindrances that we put up every day. God, help us, that, help us to not let that be a part of who we are. For the sake of unity, Father, we ask that you would continue to transform our hearts that even in this invitation time, Lord, I pray that there has been conviction across this room for either judgmental attitudes or uncaring attitudes. Lord, I pray that we would not cast judgment on one another, and I pray, God, that we would not live in sin and call it freedom. Help us, Father, unite over the things that matter and live with every breath that we have left. Glorious lives that point to you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand?